Well, I think this year has given us an incredible opportunity for perspective. It's given us an opportunity to really think about what is important and uh, what we have and who we are and what we should be doing. And uh, I think we do have a lot to be thankful for. Even in the worst of times, uh, we have, as God's people, as God's children, so much to be thankful for. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we'll be this morning. We're going to look at verses 23, 24, and 25. Hebrews is a fantastic book. Um, if you uh, get a chance to read it and to study it, you will be blessed uh, if you'll take the opportunity to do that. It was uh, written by an unknown author. There's a lot of speculation about actually who wrote it. Uh, of course, most, most scholars believed up until about third century that it was the Apostle Paul because there are some things in it that are kind of Pauline in nature, but uh, by and large, it, it, it really doesn't stand up to that test that it was written by Paul. So it's, it's kind of a, um, uh, an unknown author, but we do know that it was written to Christian Jews that were living in Jerusalem, and it was written to them in a time when they were being persecuted. So things were not going well in their world when they got this letter. And uh, the Holy Spirit, of course, through the unnamed author, were, was given the inspiration to write this book, this letter, and send it to these, he, these uh, Hebrews, these Jews living in Jerusalem. And this, this letter would have been circulated among them and trying to encourage them and try to give them a perspective about what they were going through with persecution. Now, it's, it's interesting. We think about persecution here in America. It's something we really don't know much about. Um, we don't really know uh, too much about. We've not experienced it much. Now, we may have been experienced a little bit of, of, of problems because of our faith. You know, like maybe we can't share our faith in certain, in, in certain jobs, in certain employment, in our, in our jobs, our careers. We're not allowed to be open about our faith or share. But, uh, and that, that's becoming more and more so. But that's not really persecution uh, as far as that goes. Uh, even not being able to meet during a pandemic I don't believe that is persecution. I think Christians have a responsibility to live up to the guidelines and the recommendations of the government until it becomes a point where they are trying to stifle or exterminate the church. Then we do respond in a way that is, um, because of our loyalty is not to this, this country, it is to our Father and the, and the authority of Scripture. But up until that time, I believe we are as, as model citizens to obey the authority that is over us. We find that over and over in scripture. But the Jews that were living in Jerusalem, they were being persecuted a great deal. But persecution is happening more in our world today for, against Christians than it, is, uh, than it was during this time where this letter was written. Uh, there are uh, like 1.6 million Christians have been killed in Iran, uh, slaughtered for their faith because they believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, that's just, they, they say that one Christian is killed in the world every five minutes because of their faith. 
Now, we don't hear about that in America because we're not about that. Um, we, don't, we don't think about that. You know, we have other problems as Christians or we have other concerns about Christians. But do we have the right perspective? I mean, what would we be wanting to hear from the word of God if we were in a situation where we, we were living in fear of our life with our faith? Uh, and we take so much for granted with our faith that it, it, it's not important to us. We, we, it becomes less important to us. It doesn't become priority to us. It becomes our faith, we can take it or we can leave it. Uh, we can show up or we can not show up because we have so much freedom in that regard and in that way. But yet here we, we see this letter written to the, the, these Christians that are suffering persecution and they would have been starved for this. This letter may have been circulated under uh, disguise. It would have been uh, passed secretly among other Christians and finding out who were other Christians and through the network that they had there in Jerusalem. So it, it would have been passed around. It would have brought great encouragement to them, a word from the Lord. And so that's where we are this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I think we can be thankful for time. The uh, skit there they talked about, that's one thing that they're thankful for is the time together and, and all that. But we can be thankful for time. And we divide time into three categories, past, present, and future. And that is certainly what the writer of this passage of scripture does. He, he uh, uh, outlines time and what we have to be thankful for in those same three categories. And so this first one is hold on to our past. Hold on to our past. You know, it's kind of a negative thing, quit living in the past. But it is also a positive side of that because of in our past is when we became Christians, when we first believed. Uh, we were spending Thanksgiving with family. My older sister, uh, Brenda, uh, she's uh, five years older than me. She led me to the Lord when I was a child. Um, she shared Christ with me and, and brought me to an understanding and helped me uh, pray a prayer of confession and, and of, uh, um, of, of salvation. And so I remember that quite clearly in doing that. And so that is the day that I was saved. So in that regard, in that, in that uh, uh, feeling of, of, of looking back at our past, we have to hold on to it. And, he, and here the writer's encouraging them, hold on to your past. Hold fast the confession of your faith. That is when you first believe, that moment or that time period in your life when you came to Christ. And I hope and pray that this Thanksgiving and every Thanksgiving that you think about when you came to know Christ. It's good that we remind ourselves, that we're reminded of that, of that time of faith, because that time of remembrance builds our faith and gives us the encouragement that we need to uh, have for today. Eternal life is the greatest hope that we could possibly have. Think about all the people living in this world that have no hope. They have no Jesus Christ. They might be hoping just for a meal or they might be hoping for a promotion or, or something good to happen to them, but they have no hope if they don't have Jesus Christ. Hope defined for the believer is confident expectation as if that event has already happened. 
And you see, our salvation, when we come to know Christ, it is, it, is a, it is a moment and time, but it also erases our past from our sin, but it gives us a future for all of eternal life. You know, we live as believers without an expiration date. And we may pass away, our earthly body may wear out, our clay shell may fail us, but we don't stop living. We then experience eternal life, what we got at that moment where we, ha- where we hold fast to the confession of our hope. You know, we forget that Jesus saves sinners. Jesus still saves sinners. We hold on to our hope and it reminds us we're still being offered hope to others because of the hope that we received. Some of us were saved from very difficult circumstances, from very deep in sin and very far from the Lord. Others of us maybe were not quite, had gotten into a life of sin when we came to Christ, but all of us are are redeemed the same way through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so there is that salvation and if Jesus will save me, he will save others. If he will save me, he will save someone else, someone that I come in contact with. Our salvation should point us to other people that have no hope. You know, we look at this year, it has been most unwelcoming, but it has really set the stage for us to be able to share hope, to live hope, to confess our hope, to share our hope with other people because so many, so many people's lives have been so destroyed. Uh, I remember when they shut down March Madness. That was very hard for me to accept because I'm a KU fan. We were going to win the national championship. You know, the stars were aligned and those stars were called Devon Dotson and Azabuki. You don't get those kind of stars all the time. We're still the champions of 2020. We're claiming that, right, KU fans? Well, enough about sports. But this year's just been unwelcoming. It's been life interrupted. Time was stolen from us. Loved ones even taken from us. If your family has been impacted greatly in that way with the COVID uh, crisis. But we've, we've known people that have lost jobs, that have lost income, that have had relationships hindered or even broken because of COVID. Uh, we've seen learning interrupted everywhere in the world. And normalcy has just been stolen from us what we expect for the day has been taken from us. Uh, I have a friend that I grew up with in Topeka, Kansas, who now pastors in New Mexico. His name is Gail Holt. Uh, He started a church outside of Albuquerque. And last Saturday, he stood in line at Walmart for two and a half hours. Not to pay for his things, but to get into Walmart. So life interrupted. We know full well what life interrupted was. Do you remember trying to hunt for toilet paper? You remember that kind of a fear of, oh my goodness, we're almost out. Well, then our son was uh, dismissed from college because of COVID and had to go online learning. So Gabe showed up and there in the back of his car was still all the toilet paper that he had for his senior, senior year of high school when they were toilet paper in each other's houses. It was like liquid gold. It was... It was paper gold. It became a precious commodity. So we did what anybody should do. We set up a, a, a little stand on the corner and began selling toilet paper for $50 a roll. Praise the Lord. So, yeah. 
But there is so much fear in our world today. Everything familiar stripped away. Everyone seems frustrated. Everyone in a bad mood. You know why? Because they don't live with the hope of salvation. They or they're not holding on to their hope of their their salvation. And this idea the writer giving is he's saying, grip it tight. Grip it tight, this salvation, because this world wants to tear that hope away. This world wants you to doubt what your salvation is. It wants you to doubt uh, who you are in Jesus Christ and that you're a child of God. And it, wanna makes you, it wanna, wants to make you like everyone else. So it says, recall the confession of hope. Remember it. Be thankful for it. Let that hope give you peace and security. You know, our hope is always going to be there. There is a permanence there that never changes. It's something that it can never be taken from us. It's never voted on. It's never up for debate. And we can hold on to it without wavering because it's not up to us and our own own strength. It's up to God and his faithfulness that preserves our hope and the confession of our salvation. You know, if it was up to us, we would mess it up. If it was up to us, we would drop it. We would break it. We would neglect it. But it's not up to the will of man. It is up to the will of God. A beautiful verse, John 10, 28, and that entire chapter is about uh, the security of the believer. But he says in verse number 28, he says this, Jesus is speaking and he says, everyone the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. So hold on, church, hold on to the confession of our, of our hope. So we hold on to the past, and then the next encouragement that he gives us, something to be thankful for is to live in the present. Live in the present. The church is now, the church is for now, the church is for today. The church is our present. Now here, Harrisonville Community Church, that is the church that you are, hold on to. Now we, we know there are two terms for church. There is the universal church, that is believers from past, present, and future, and, and those believers that are all over the world from different countries and different cultures, and they're certainly part of the church, but here he's specifically telling these believers, you've gotta get together in your church with your people. And 90% of the time in the New Testament where the church is talking about, it's talking about a local New Testament church. Because you see, I have friends that are in England and in Wales and other parts of the country and the Philippines and Christians that I've met there and other parts of this country, but I don't fellowship with them like I do with my local New Testament church, the group of people that God has called together in this area where we come together. And that's what he's talking about here is hold on to one another. You know, being the church differentiates us from everyone else that has no church, that is not a part of the church. Being in the church enables us to live out God's purpose for our lives. It, it puts our confession of our hope into action and into practice because we do it together. You know, we need one another. Too much emphasis is placed today on the methodology of of the church instead of on one another in the church. Every email that I get about church growth is always about methodology, methodology, methodology. And it's amazing to me that we live in the country in America where Christianity has become stagnant and even began to decline because we talk so much about methodology, but we forget that we are together with one another and the importance of one another. And we're to focus on one another, focus on other people within the church, encourage one another. 
You know, the, the church was specifically designed by God for a specific purpose. I believe the church is the staging area for heaven. Because in heaven, we're all, the church is going to be all together. We're going to be all, the, the, the local churches come together. All believers come together. That is the staging area for heaven here in this church. And it is this, this church that prepares us for heaven. And it also prepares us to share the gospel with other people. It is through the, the everyday life of the church that we learn to love and we learn to forgive and, and we learn to, to uh, uh, reach out and encourage one another. The local church is the only place where we find accountability and we find growth and service, encouragement and worship and fellowship. Now, I wish that the church was perfect. I wish that it was. But you know what? The church here on this earth is never going to be perfect, but yet God still designed it for us. And it is through that imperfection that we learn to love one another, but it's never going to be perfect because I'm here and because you're here, it's never going to be perfect. You know, um, it, it's, it, the, the, the wording here specifically is, let us consider how we can stir one another up. So think about, contemplate, plan, uh, really dive deep in how we can stir one another up. And I think that's very appropriate for a church, having spent uh, all of my adult life uh, ministering in churches. Um, we know full well there's always someone wanting to stir something up, Right? stir something up. I'm in a Zoom meeting on Tuesday mornings with a group of guys. We were meeting in person, going through a, a little discipleship study, a book study, but uh, because of the COVID, we went, went online on the Zoom. And I noticed that like in three or four weeks into it, that one of the guys had the same exact background on his Zoom as I have, which was my office. And I'm like, wait a minute. And so halfway through it, and everybody knew about it except for me, you know, and the thing. And I'm like, wait a minute, Ryan, where'd you get it? You know, he's always trying to stir something up. Then the next week, he had somebody else's background. He took a picture of where they are in their room, and he was there in that room. And so it was that idea. And he just kept doing, just stirring, stirring things up. We like that kind of a playful stirring up. But, but this kind of a, a focus stirring up with a purpose for uh, encouraging one another, let us consider, let us stir up how we can do that. Let us think about that. You know, church gives us the opportunity to exercise unconditional love and forgiveness to others in the church so we can do the same for those outside the church. And some here had apparently developed a habit of not going to church. And if I, if I feared for my life, it would be very easy to not go to church. We think about this year, where I think we've, got, uh, we've entered a phase for believers where it's not just, it, we've gotten in the habit of not going to church. You know, church on the couch is not the same as in person with, with one another. And at some point, we've got to come back together with this COVID year. Don't let it become that gives you the excuse because it's just easier to sit there in your pajama pants and your coffee at home and watch online. It's not the same. Uh, because bad habits form faster than good ones. And even in this first century, the believers were doing the same thing where they had neglected going to church and being the church. You know, I think about every time we're out of church, we don't go to church or we withdraw from the church that we're depriving the body of believers of the part that we are. 
we are subtracting from the church, not numbers, but uh, that, that part of the body, whether it be hands or feet or eyes or, or mouth or, or legs or feet. I mean, we are the body of Christ and he is the head and we, we play a part, a role as the church as we're gifted in that way. You know, we need one another and the church is very, very important for our thankfulness for today. And let me, let me tell you, let me give you a glimpse of how important uh, the word of God and God himself, the Holy Spirit makes church, okay? You remember in Acts chapter nine, Saul was breathing out fire against Christians as the, um, the scripture tells us that he was uh, persecuting the church and that he was hunting down the church. He had got permission as a Jewish official. He was a fast track to be a superstar as a, as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a religious expert. And so he, he became the enforcement, the Gestapo part of the, uh, the religious uh, uh, Jews. And so he would go out and arrest Christians and he would persecute them and he would torture them and, and he would bring them back. And he had gotten permission to go to Damascus because there, was a, there were some Christians there that he was made aware of and he knew where they were and who they were. He knew their names. And so he was on his way to arrest them. And what happened? Jesus Christ appeared to him, knocked him to the ground and blinded him. And Jesus had one question for him. He said, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, Saul had an idea who Jesus Christ was. He knew that they were claiming that he was the Messiah, that, they, that he had been killed and he had been crucified, but he thought that part was gone. And so he was, he was going after these people that still believed in the way. And yet here Jesus Christ appears to him and he says, why are you persecuting me? He's not talking about other Christians. He's talking about, uh, why are you persecuting me? Because the church and Jesus Christ are interchangeable terms in the New Testament. The church and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are interchangeable terms. So the way we treat Jesus Christ is the way we treat the church. The way we treat the church is the way we treat Jesus Christ. They're inseparable. They're inseparable there. So as I mentioned, we, Sandy and I celebrated 34 years. Well, you can't love uh, her without loving me. And that's pretty much why I married her. Because, you know, it gives you a leg up. It gives you a, a ticket in a way, right, guys? You know that when you've married over your head. So it, it, it is that way. You can't just love one and not the other. And it is that way. You can't love Jesus Christ and not love the church. And there is this heresy that has arisen in American and in European where there's this type of Christianity where you don't need the church. All you need is Jesus Christ. Well, what you're saying is you don't need Jesus Christ. Because they're one and the same as far as the New Testament is concerned. The way you treat one is the way you treat the other. And so here he's writing to them saying, you've got, some have gotten in the habit of, of getting out of church, but you need to consider how you can stir one another up, how you can come together. You know, we were, we were created for companionship and this year has taught us that. Isolation is not healthy. Research has linked social isolation and loneliness to all kinds of health problems. I have a great aunt in Topeka, Kansas. She's great not only in name, but in reality also. And my aunt Ellen, Ellen Titchener, and she's in a care facility. My great aunt is 98 years old. This is a sister of my grandfather, uh, Aunt Ellen Titchener, and she's been in a care facility. Well, in March, 
as every care facility in the United States, they went in lockdown, right? No family could visit her anymore. So my brothers and sisters and my mother and other relatives that would go by every week to visit her in the care facility, they could no longer do so. Remember, she's 98 years old. If she gets COVID, she's going to die. And many did in nursing homes. So they would stand outside the window and they would talk to her on the phone, try to encourage her. She couldn't even go down to the cafeteria to eat her meals. They served her meals in the room. So from March until this morning, she's been locked in her little room all of this time. Every person that's come into the room has been gloved up, has been gowned up, has been masked, has been temporal scanned, has been tested. They come into her room and lo and behold, about a month ago, what do you think happens? She got COVID. She got COVID. Now, she survived it and she said it wasn't pleasant, but she said, I would much rather have COVID than to have experienced the isolation that I've had to experience since March of last year. We're made for companionship. That's why God created man for that companionship with a, with a heavenly father, with our creator, but also with one another. That's why he created Eve for Adam, because it wasn't good that we're alone. So there is that, that thing of, of, of the idea of today, of what we'd be thankful for is to value the church and be thankful for the church. Church is life together and the church of God is the remedy for isolation. Any of us will suffer spiritually if we isolate ourselves. Satan will pick us off. Um, essential workers. We've heard a lot about essential workers. The church is essential for believers. It is essential. We don't emphasize this enough. And maybe even in some ways we've failed this. Consider how we can stir one another up to what? To love and to good works. This morning, what we heard about Restoration House was stirring us up to love and to good works. About Kindercastle, an incredible ministry that goes on <coughs> while we go through our life uh, during the week away from the church. This happens in the church, but it's, it's happening for uh, uh, bringing these kids in. And so that is a, an outreach of this church and is an extension of this church. It's a way that we love and we, we do good works and countless other things. But we, we consider how we can stir one another up, not neglecting meeting together, but encouraging one another. And then the last thing that he says to these Christians and to us today is to look forward to the future. So be thankful for the past and live in the present, but then look forward to the future. Anticipation of the Lord's return. And make no mistake, Jesus Christ is going to return. Nothing and no one can change this. This day transforms our today. This day affects our every day because we know we're living in anticipation of the future, the day of the Lord. He says, as the day is drawing near, that's like saying he is on his way. He is on his way. Our family, uh, we have Life360, the little app that you can tell where you are. Do you guys have that on your phone? Well, I say our family, and by that I mean Gabe and Sandy and I, because we're the cooperative wing of our family. Um, we had another member of our family that will go unnamed because I don't want to shame her, but, um, she had it for a while and then she determined that it was an invasion of her privacy. So she said, I'm not going to have that. And she said, and I talked to all my friends and they said, it's creepy daddy for you to know all of where I am and what I'm doing and be able to follow my every move. 
you know, uh, but you can look on that app and see your family and it'll tell you, you know, two hours and 41 minutes to their location. I mean, it's, it's really a cool thing. And sometimes I'll call Sandy and I'll say, I'm looking at your big old head driving down the interstate. Um, uh, you'll be home in about four minutes. I just want to let you know that I'm watching you and, and she'll do the same to me. Uh, it, it's, it's that kind of a thing. But, but, but there is that idea of we have a day that is coming that is drawing near. We know that, it's, it, that they're coming. We know when that, that arrival will be, that it will happen. And it's de- described here as the day. Do all of these things as you see the day approaching. We don't know when it is, but we know that it's closer today than it was yesterday. We know that it's closer today than when I was here in the first of November. We know that it, w- it will be closer in, in January than it is today. And the day is capitalized because it is a specific day in history, a specific day in history. You know, only we as believers have a future. The Lord's day is our day. The Lord's day is our day. We think about Sunday as the Lord's day. His return is the Lord's day where our faith becomes sight, where we see our savior face to face, where we become reunited with loved ones. Praise God for that where we get to meet all the saints of the Bible. <coughs> Excuse me, we um, think about all the different saints that you wanna meet. One that I wanna meet is David. And I wanna meet him and one of the first things I'm gonna say to him is, hey, let's go get some stones. I wanna see you use your sling on some stones. Did you do that right-handed or left-handed? And when Goliath fell, did it like, kind of like shake the earth when he hit the ground? You know, that stone hit him right in the head, right in the forehead. Hey, let's go do that together. I mean, we're going to get to meet all of these saints, all those that have lived before us, all those that have gone before us. We're going to get to meet this great cloud of witnesses, which Hebrews talks about. So we're going to meet together. And he says, all the more as you see the day approaching, where we'll be free from sin and the corrupt world. We do these things and we do them with increasing measures where we hold on to the confession of our hope, where we stir one another up to love and good works. We meet together, we gather. And especially more as you see the day drawing near, we meet together. The day of the Lord is going to be a good day. The day of the Lord is going to be the best day. We gather today knowing that the day of the Lord is near. In just a few moments when we dismiss, we'll dismiss knowing that the day of the Lord is drawing near. When we arrive at church and we get out of our cars in in a few days difference between when we were last here, we'll know that the day of the Lord is drawing near. When we encourage one another, we do it because we know the day of the Lord is, is, is drawing near. We greet one another. We serve together knowing that the day of the Lord is drawing near. You see, the day of the Lord makes everything we do more urgent. And so he was putting into perspective for these believers, don't focus on what all is bad in the world and how difficult you have a time of living out your faith. Focus on that day of the Lord, which is more real and more powerful and more potent than anything you experience day to day. The day of the Lord makes holding on to our hope and meeting together more significant significant. It seems impossible, but we can forget our salvation, the confession of our hope, grip it tight, hold on to it, and then stir one another up to love and good works, encourage one another, meet together, 
not as the habit as some is where they've gone, gone and, and not continued to come together. Consider how you can do this and you can encourage others to do it. These things are the DNA of the church, the gathering, the encouraging, the, the uh, pushing ourselves to love and to serve. What day is it? The Lord's return is close. It is near. Today may be November 29th, but November 30th could very well be the day of the Lord. We don't know that. We don't know that it won't be. We don't know that it will be. But we know that the day of the Lord is drawing near. And if it was drawing near in 65 AD, approximately when this was written, it is much nearer today than it was then. We're 1,955 some years closer than when this was written. Is the day of the Lord drawing near? Let me read, leave you with a passage of scripture, Romans chapter 13, verse number 11, which reinforces this theme. And this was uh, definitely written by the Apostle Paul. He says this, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. What a thanksgiving that is. Thankful for time, the past, the present, and the future. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Father, I pray, Lord, that we'd be encouraged today by this passage of scripture, by the writing of this to the early church that was going through so much difficulty because of their faith. And Father, where we live in a world of plenty and of freedom and be able to pretty much do what we want and live how we want and to live out our faith in private and also in public, I pray that this, these same words would inspire us, would, would speak to us that we would grip tight the confession of our hope, that we would consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works, and we wouldn't neglect meeting together, and that all of this in light of your return is closer. This day is drawing near. It is closer today than yesterday. Father, may we be the church. May we be your church. For we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.